Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, fellow misfits. I'm Jake, and I'm... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Going to narrate few episodes of Misfits show. So if you like my style of narration, do comment and who knows, maybe I'll permanently stay here. Thank you. Story time. U.S. Army air crew here, flight medic. On a long cross-country flight in a Black Hawk, we touch down at some no-name airport to refuel and use the toilets or smoke or whatever. While I was standing outside the small building next to the flight line, we all distinctly heard screaming and shouting at the edge of the airfield, way in the distance. Too far for us to dash to and be useful, so we finished fueling and spun up to climb up and sweep the whole angle that we heard the commotion. We all heard it, and we all heard it from different places, so we were all interested. We swept the area with IR, and VGs, and finally the old spotlight. Nothing. Even if it had been a prank, we would have found the guy doing it. 
Unless some clever D-head put speakers out there in the middle of Anoher, there was nothing that could have made that sound. It took moving 1,000 miles away to finally feel comfortable enough to tell you this story. This happened just before my senior year of high school over a period of three weeks in the summer. I was 17 years old, drug-free and sober. At the most, I took Advil for headaches every now and again. I just want to assure you I was not on any mind-altering substances or long-term medication that could affect my cognitive ability. During the summer, my curfew was 11 p.m., and this occurred while driving home from my at that time boyfriend's house, which took roughly 15 minutes, so let's say about 10.45 at night. I was full of energy at this age and a night owl, so I was not even remotely tired. In fact, I was hyped up with the warm summer nighttime breeze, car windows down, singing along to the radio. I took a shortcut through back roads to avoid going into the tiny city with its jerk cops. Also one of the roads I took was super straight and flat so I could really speed, and that feels great when you're a teenager. But right before that road I had to take two very close turns to get onto it. First I'd take a right turn that was more than 90 degrees almost back the way I had came. Then in exactly half a mile I would turn left onto the long straight road where I could really put the gas pedal down. Since it was only half a mile, I normally didn't speed up that much because the small stretch of road was more like packed gravel and it would be a waste as I would have to slow down again to turn left onto the much better road where I could let loose. The tiny property on the inside corner of the left turn is where all this went down. A house had recently been built there, two stories with and detached garage, and it seemed odd how quickly it had been erected as we built our family house, and it took us a year to finish it. I will start at the beginning because I believe this is all related. Week 1. I am positively jamming to my music. The wind whipping through my car feels great, and I'm relaxed in my very familiar drive home. I slow down to make my right turn onto the rough rural road just be bopping along when my lights illuminate something stunning sitting on the corner of the road. It's a wolf, a real wolf, a solid white real wolf. I know the difference in my dog breeds and a wolf. I love watching dog competitions, wildlife documentaries, and have even met a 1 4th th wolf in person. They look different from domestic dogs. This was a wolf, and it was amazing and blowing my mind. I slow down even more while I turn down my music, I'm getting close to it, and I notice that it's not minding me at all. It is sitting perfectly still on the corner of the road staring at the house. Almost unblinking, its ears didn't even flick towards me, all its attention was focused on this house. I was so close I could have reached out my window and brushed the fur on the back of its head. I was smiling and amazed, but my mind was already churning. It made no sense for a wolf to be behaving like that, even less for there to be a white wolf in rural North Alabama in the summer. I came to a complete stop behind it marveling at its fur and presence. I felt euphoric like I had seen something rare and blessed. My mind made a jump to the local Indian stories of animal spirit guardians, and I started to wonder. I couldn't stay though, mom would never believe me if I told her I was late because of a spirit wolf. With a sigh, I said goodbye to the wolf and drove home in a better mood than ever. I got to see something special, and it filled me with emotions of joy and peace. Week 2. I was driving home again, and I had been taking extra care to keep an eye out for my wolfy buddy, hoping to see him again around that area, so I drove extra slow with my window down and radio off. That was a horrible mistake, I should have realized what the presence of a guardian meant, it meant danger. Alas, I was on the short road approaching the new little house. Then I saw then. Thing that to this very day makes me question my sanity, my reality and possibility of eldritch terrors as Lovecraft described. It was crouched right before their mailbox, its limbs folded and pulled in tight with its hunched posture, yet its head was still taller than the box. It was mottled green and black with undertones of blue, and it looked wet and slimy all over. Its head was elongated allowing for an extended maw full of razor-sharp teeth. The upper half of its body looked emaciated, with barely more than frog-like thin skin pulled over angular long bones, ropey muscles to hold it upright, 
and at the end of its grossly stretched arms were equally terrible long fingers. While its legs had bulked to them and looked equipped for running, with back-facing knees for sprinting and tipped in raptor-like curved claws, it looked tall maybe seven foot maybe more, just folded up into this predator's posture, waiting for prey. Then there were its eyes, solid black and sunken. I still want to vomit thinking about its eyes looking at me. Then I realized, it's going to look at me, it's going to see me, and there is no avoiding it. Panic, terror unique to this alien thing swallowed me instantly, feeling like I was tilting off the world I had always known and into an abyss where monsters like this exist. I couldn't breathe, but I had to get my window up. I had to get my window up, or I'd be ripped by those teeth and torn with those claws. Blood would adorn the cabin of my car, and I would become an unsolved mystery. I had a manual crank window, F me. I had a crank window because I was scared of crashing into water and not being able to get out of my car. But now I realized that there were far worse things in the world than crashing into water. Its head was turning towards me, and I had let off the gas, but I was still getting closer to it. It made me want to scream, but I had to get my window up first, and I was cranking it as hard as I could. I was starting to cry as I finally got the window closed, and then I put my gas pedal to the floor, gravel road be damned. I thought I must not look at it as I pass, I must not look at it or make direct eye contact, I just shouldn't. It's not good to connect with these things, I've already seen too much. My tires had found grip, and I started to launch forward, passing it. In my peripheral vision, I could see it starting to unfold its limbs, and it sent a terrible chill down my spine. I'm screwed, I'm really screwed, F. I was mumbling through my tears as I slid around the turn, fishtailing for a moment before I rocketed down the road. I felt sick, my heart was hammering, I had snot and tears rolling down my face and my hands were shaking. I glanced in my rear view mirror and could only see darkness as there were no street lamps out there. I used a trick I've mentioned in one of my other stories to tap my brakes soft enough the light comes on, but I don't actually slow down. Red lit up the dust that was billowing up in my wake, but amidst the swirling chaos I thought I saw a darker shadow than the rest, a tall thin shadow. I had enough and decided I was going to drive straight to the lighted roads and not let off the gas again the rest of the way, no more looking back. I was going to drive 109 miles per hour, which is as fast as I can go before my governor kicks in. I even ran a stop sign at the end of the road because I was not going to get caught by this thing if I could help it. I took a right onto the highway and flew home. I might have even been relieved to get pulled over, but I did not. When I got home no one was awake. I was pretty trusted to come home on time, so I called my boyfriend and cried to him for a long time before I was able to explain. He was dismissive and thought I was pulling a joke on him. Then he thought I was just being crazy and seeing things. There's many reasons we didn't stay together, but his insensitivity contributed. Week 3. I refused to take my shortcut anymore. For that reason I would have to leave my boyfriend's house a bit early, and he'd been making fun of me about it all week. One of the days we went to a park to walk around, and on the way back, he decided he wanted to drive by the house where I saw that thing. I was hysterical begging him not to drive there, but he would not be dissuaded so as we got closer, and I could not stop him I leaned my passenger side seat all the way back and pulled myself down, cowering in panic of getting near the place. I hid below the window and covered my eyes while panting heavily, reliving the traumatic night in my mind again. At one point he stopped the car. Spooky, you have to see this, he said. Niwu, I whined, resisting him pulling at my arm. No, you really have to see this look, he said in a changed tone of astonishment. Tears in my eyes, I uncurled and slowly peeked over the rim of the window. The house was gone, burnt clear down to the foundation with only a handful of framing beams still standing. The ground around the house was blackened in a perfect large circle. My boyfriend started to get out of the car, I shouted, No, let's get out of here while I grabbed for his arm, but he easily avoided me and got out. He walked around the ashy piles of the ruins for a bit, using a stick to poke at this and that. When he finally came back he had an intense look of thinking on his face. There was no evidence of any personal belongings, furniture, power wiring, or even interior walls. 
It doesn't seem like other burned out houses, something's weird. When we got to his house, he searched for news articles about any house fires in the area. There weren't any. He called the closest fire station and was quickly brushed off by the person that answered as they didn't know about a fire there and didn't have time to find out before quickly hanging up on him. I never wanted to see that place again. I went out of my way to avoid the roads in that area. Talking about it still makes my chest tighten, my skin crawl, and my eyes water. My brain still has trouble because I know I saw it, a thing that is nothing like any creature known to humans, yet still I saw it. If you've heard of something that matches its description, let me know. Edit. This is near Moulton, Alabama. It's hard to say when the first inkling of unease settled over me, a premonition whispering that this mission would be unlike any other. My team, an elite special forces unit, had been deployed countless times across the globe, but the orders that day came with an edge of urgency that cut deeper than usual. The objective was clear. Infiltrate a remote region in Jordan to destroy a weapons cache, rumored to be a cornerstone in the arsenal of a rogue faction within the Mossad. What we encountered there, however, was beyond the realm of any military briefing or horror conceived by the human mind. The journey to the target location was a silent odyssey through desolate landscapes that seemed untouched by time or war. Our insertion under the cover of night was flawless, a testament to the years of training and missions that honed our skills to near perfection. Yet, as the rosy fingers of dawn began to claw at the horizon, a palpable tension among the team hinted at the unseen challenges awaiting us in the heat and dust of the Jordanian desert. The weapons cache, hidden within a nondescript structure that blended seamlessly with the rugged terrain, was supposed to be an easy target. Intelligence had indicated minimal security, a straightforward in-and-out operation. But as we approached, the silence of the desert felt oppressive, a harbinger of the nightmare poised to unfold. It was Corporal Diaz who first noticed the irregularities a series of peculiar tracks, unlike any animal signs familiar to our extensive training. The realization hit us in waves. We were not alone, and we were not expected. Before we could reassess our approach, the ground itself seemed to betray us, erupting in a frenzy of movement as monstrous forms emerged from beneath the sands. Giant scorpions, their exoskeletons gleaming like polished armor under the nascent sun, swarmed with unnatural speed and ferocity. It was clear in that moment of surreal horror that these creatures were not products of nature, but of deliberate and twisted human intention. The rogue Mossad faction had bred these abominations as living guardians of their arsenal, a fact that our intelligence had failed to uncover. The chaos that ensued was a blur of gunfire, shouts, and the screeching of those nightmarish creatures. We fought not for the mission now, but for survival, a battle waged on an alien battlefield that none of us could have anticipated. Despite our training and firepower, we were unprepared for the cunning and resilience of our adversaries. Sergeant Hawkins and Private Lee paid the ultimate price, their sacrifices a grim testament to the ferocity of our unexpected foes. Yet, even in the darkest moments, the resolve of the human spirit can ignite like a beacon. Rallying around the loss of our brothers, we adapted, fought with a mix of rage and desperation that eventually turned the tide in our favor. The weapons cache was destroyed, not with the precision of a military operation, but in a cataclysmic explosion that engulfed both the arsenal and the scorpion nest, erasing the abominations from the earth. In the aftermath, as we exfiltrated under the cover of a dust cloud born from the explosion, the mission's final objective was unexpectedly fulfilled. Amidst the debris, we discovered classified intel, documents that exposed the depth of the rogue faction's plans and alliances, information that would have far-reaching implications in the shadowy world of international espionage and counter-terrorism. The journey back was a somber procession, a reflection not just on the cost of the mission, but on the nature of the threats we face in a world where the lines between friend and foe, natural and unnatural, are increasingly blurred. We had achieved our objective, but at a price that left its mark on our souls, a reminder of the sacrifices demanded in the silent wars waged in the shadows. In the end, the desert reclaimed its secrets, 
swallowing the remnants of that day into its vast, unyielding expanse. But the shadows of what we encountered there linger in the minds of those who survived, a haunting legacy of a mission that redefined the boundaries of our understanding of terror and the lengths to which some will go to wield the power of darkness. I've always been a fairly spiritual person. I believe in the paranormal, and I believe that there are things that just must be explained with the paranormal. I also find myself intrigued by the paranormal. I decided to go with my friend to find paranormal things around Pittsburgh. I have many stories to tell, but I am going to tell this one. We used a pretty infamous app Cal's Randonautica. It brought us to one random location. I cannot remember the intention set. When we arrived it was in one of the large parks. Our location was a little bit into the forest. I pick up a lot of spiritual energy from this area, so we go deeper to investigate. I stop and see a very strange looking tree and comment. That is a strange looking tree. My friend responds, that is not a tree. Spoiler alert, it was likely a flesh pedestrian or skinwalker. As we escaped from here as fast as we could, we ran back to our car and proceeded to watch lines and lines of cars pulling out of this building buried in this part of the forest. I was still having a really weird gut feeling about it even with the protection spell we used. I felt off about that flesh pedestrian like it was particularly powerful. I have no reason to believe it was a cult, but it certainly felt very strange. Call me a clickbaiter and it's safe to say we got the heck out of Dodge. In the fall of 2001, two of my friends and I decided to go to the liquor store and get someone to buy us a pint of booze. We were not yet of age, so we had to get people who were of age to go in and buy it for us. We did this two or three times a week. The small town we live in, Mantachi, Mississippi most of the time leaves you alone as long as you are not bothering anyone. We got the booze and headed to the park in this small town. We go to the park to have a drink every once in a while, but this night was different. We pulled up to the park and started to get out of the truck. We had not yet opened the booze so the booze did not influence us. I was sitting in the middle and my friend was getting out of the passenger's side door. When he got out and I got out, I noticed the sound of a tennis ball bouncing on the tennis court. I looked and saw this figure bouncing a tennis ball. The figure was around six feet tall and was wearing a dark cloak. It looked to me that he had some sort of pouch on his back. We all saw the same thing. In a flash, we jumped back into the truck and headed down the road to figure out what we had seen. We got a few miles away and in the distance, we saw coming at us a large bat-like creature. It was several feet away from us, but you could make out the red glowing eyes. It passed right in front of our windshield and vanished in the darkness. We rushed to one of our houses and didn't drink that night. We didn't do anything but stay there all night. I am a skeptic when it comes to the paranormal, but I do know what I saw. I read your reports of the winged humanoid in Chicago. Do you believe that it may have been the same or similar creature? Have you received other reports from Mississippi? Thanks. I don't know exactly how to describe what's happening to me, but I know that I need help. There is something that is attached to me, and it is not human. It or they has been attached to me since I can remember. As I get older it is getting more and more aggressive. I wake up with very large bruises and welts consistently often in geometric shapes or patterns. This is not my concern though. My concern lies with those around me. People are beginning to notice unexplained bruising, scratches, night those errors, rashes, and ultimately becoming violently sick in my presence. I've had instances where physical harm was done to those around me, such as being pushed on stairs or having doors slam on them. It comes and goes for long periods, but once it has made its presence known and it knows I know it's there, things get bad. I have many witnesses to attest to this, and at one point physical proof. I had a very large non-human handprint burned into my bedroom door at my old house followed by another one, exactly the same burned into the wall next to my headboard. Both the door and the wall had to be sanded down. 
I went as far as to ask for help from the Catholic Church. They wouldn't even pray with me and seemed disturbed by my presence instantly. This thing has never made me feel personally threatened until recently. I found my picture of my family and me from when I was a baby fallen from my mirror and laying face down on my dresser. When I picked it up to put it back assuming it was a draft or the wind, I discovered that my face had been scratched out. I asked everyone in my family grandparents, my mother and uncle if it was them, and they had no idea what I was talking about until I showed them. I am terrified to sleep at night because I go into these fits of convulsions and screaming that are difficult to wake me up from and calculated sleepwalking, neither of which I have any remembrance of afterward. And by calculated sleepwalking, I mean unlocking doors, undoing restraints to keep me from leaving my bed, and most concerning leaving my home. I also went to a psychologist to talk about this problem in hopes that they would tell me that I was crazy, but to my disappointment, I was told in fact that I was completely in my right mind and that what was happening to me was very real. I have had a government-based opinions on the matter as well. Those details have to be discussed exclusively in person. Please contact me as soon as possible, even if you can't help me. This incident occurred in March 2021 near Cache, Oklahoma in Comanche County. Myself and another witness were leaving my house when we decided to check out a tree in the yard, which we thought we had seen something about two weeks prior. The tree is located about 60 yards from the house and close to the road. We drove to the tree with the bright lights on the car. As we neared the tree we saw something huge and white sitting on a branch of the tree. I noticed the head and shoulders. The shoulders were broad and it didn't look like it had a neck. The other witness saw two legs dangling down. The legs were hairy and were moving. The head and shoulders were moving slightly back and forth like it was getting ready to jump down. I screamed while the other witness was in shock. I managed to put the car in reverse and backed out of the area as fast as possible. There had been other reports of people seeing something run across the road and people have heard blood-curdling screams coming from a nearby creek. It reminded me of a tall, muscular man-like creature with long white hair. It was seen and reported in another area of Comanche County and seemed to vanish and reappear at will according to previous witnesses. The other witnesses identified the creature as a Bigfoot. I've seen and experienced multiple things in my house and so have my grandparents and my mom. I have a big closet where I had set up my office when I was younger, around 9 or 10 years old. One day I walked into my room and saw my closet door open with the light on. There was a little blonde girl sitting in the chair with the scariest look on her face. I ran screaming to my parents' room and my dad rushed to my room but saw nothing. When my sister and I were younger I was around 9 and she was around 6 or 7 we were sleeping over at our grandparents' house. We were on a mattress on the living room floor when I felt like something was watching us. I looked over to the opposing wall where the night light the only light source on in the house and there on a dead end road so no cars were going by was and I saw a shadow figure walk by clear as day. I got my sister's attention and told her not to make a sound. We watched five more walk by from left to right. She hid under the blanket and I watched three more walk back from right to left before I did the same. I've seen many shadow figures. I've had stare downs with two and only had the courage to run at one where it disappeared into thin air. I've seen things peeking their heads out around corners and doors, etc. In the same house where I saw the shadow figures walk by, my mom grew up. She saw a Native American walk by in the front lawn and disappear behind a tree. Paint cans got launched off a shelf in the basement directly below her room in the middle of the night, waking her up. Her radio or stereo system randomly stopped playing music while she was studying, said her complete name, then paused and went back to playing music. She saw a ball of gold light enter her room and then just disappear. In our current house, she's seen shadow figures. When I mentioned that I saw a shadow person in the basement last week, she will say she has too and it was on the same day I saw it. She woke up the morning after being given an old Native American smoking pipe 
We have a lot of antiques to something crushing her chest and pinning her arms. But she said in the name of Jesus, and it immediately went away. She's had many more weird dreams and encounters, and she says she can't tell me until the right time, whatever that means. I think I've forgotten some things, but those are probably the weirdest or most notable ones. Driving at night on a highway by Kaibab National Forest outside of Flagstaff, I saw, by the center divide, a huge wolf-like creature lying down. Only it was too massive to be a wolf. Lying down, it was still higher than the guardrail, so this thing was scary large. My first thought was that I just saw a skinwalker. I remember immediately becoming wide awake and made sure to keep going as far as I could before stopping for gas or the restroom. Miles and miles later, I did stop at a rest stop to pee and was hyper vigilant the entire time I was out of the car. I texted my mom and my brother about it. It still creeps me out thinking about what it was doing on the road. Like, was it waiting to jump out in front of a car? This happened last December on a drive from Louisiana to California. In 2005, I lived in Colchester, England with my long-term partner and was working at a local cafe where I met and worked with people who first introduced me to the beliefs surrounding the Illuminati. When I fell pregnant, we decided to move to Australia where strange things started to happen in my sleep. The first one I remember is waking up and not being able to move or talk. It was extremely frightening, and although it happened on several occasions, I was hesitant to tell my partner in case he thought I was crazy. On the contrary, I felt mentally and spiritually strong, which helped me fight to overcome the forces that were controlling me every time. I also used to see tiny green lights in the corners of my room during the night. One night I was woken to find what I can only describe as a reptile-like creature or being standing over me on two legs. It had a frill around its neck that was in a threatened-like extension, very muscular, and a tail. He was making a hissing noise I felt that was certainly not friendly looking almost through me when our eyes met, and as in previous experiences, I was not able to move or speak and felt paralyzed yet wide awake. In absolute terror, I shut my eyes and opened them, and it was gone. I was beside myself and was in fear of his return. It wasn't the last time I awoke to him, he also came to me in a dream. In my dream, I was sitting at my friend's square table talking with her and I knew he was there. In my dream, I remember as my friend was talking, I was being coaxed away and taken by him. It felt like an out-of-body experience as I could see myself in my dream at the table with her. I knew I had been taken. I managed with all of my spirit to fight the strength he had on me, and I remember feeling like I wasn't ready to go, and that he'd be back when I was because after that it didn't return and hasn't. After I had my baby, I remember seeing lights, the same green ones I saw in my room in her cot at night when she woke for feeding. I don't know why this happened to me, but I know I'm not alone and I know I'm not crazy. I was settling into bed after a day of shamanism work in deep meditation for two hours. My two dogs were in the bed with me. I had broken my ankle the day before and was trying to get comfortable. I was playing on my phone when the room lit up with a white glowing sphere coming from the living room into my bedroom. It was about as big as a basketball and it settled at the foot of my bed. My dogs jumped down and ran. The sphere grew and became a red reptilian or lizardman standing at the foot of my bed. He had a musky odor to him or her. He had no wings or horns and was perfectly bipedal. My first reaction was anger. As a shaman, I serve the Norse god Odin. I am used to orbs and interdimensional beings or spirits. My first reaction was anger. I thought, I worked for Odin today and now he isn't going to protect me from this. I instantly knew it was there to feed off my energy and possibly report back to who was in charge of the cult I was raised in. I rolled over and let it put me to instant sleep. I was too tired to try to fight. I woke up an hour later on top of the covers with my cast off. My broken ankle was completely healed. I got under the covers and went back to sleep. Over the next two weeks, 
I was exhausted and slept 13 to 20 hours a day. I also craved meat and could never feel full of enough meat. Some friends helped me out with energy, but after one day I was back to feeling drained again. The overall feelings were anger, disgust, and hopelessness. I also felt fear and seduction. It was as if I feared the being, but also was drawn to it. Many years ago, when I was a medical student, Mr. X, an old friend, would call occasionally at the college to take me out to lunch. One day, a letter from him asked me to meet him off the 1.30 train the next day at a small country station nearby. Later, a telegram was handed to me telling me Mr. X had been killed in a street accident. It was unsigned, and I thought it might be a hoax. The next morning, I cycled to the station, leaned my bicycle against the bridge across the lines, and leaned on the parapet. As the 1.30 train pulled up at the platform, I watched anxiously to see who alighted. There were three passengers, two men and a girl, and to my relief, I saw that one was my old friend, in his familiar raincoat and pork pie hat rather far back on his head. I shouted to him, and he looked up smiling, waved his hat, and hurried out of sight towards the station exit. I ran to meet him there. The two other passengers emerged, by not Mr. Terex. I went onto the platform, but there was no sign of him. I spoke to the ticket collector. He said only two passengers had gotten off the train, a gent and a young lady. But the other gentleman, wearing a pork pie hat, I insisted. I saw him from the bridge. I never seen but two, he replied, showing me the two tickets he had taken from them. I rode back to college, fearing now the telegram must be genuine, and I learned later that Mr. X had been knocked down by a passerby and had been taken unconscious to hospital where he died as the result of a fractured skull. I never discovered who sent me the telegram. A couple of years ago, I was in the woods in Kentucky, hiking and looking for ginseng. I stopped to search the ground when I saw a small stone roll past me. Looking up, I saw another land about six feet away from me. At first, I thought nothing of it, but was just curious to figure out what was going on. I moved up the hill about a hundred feet, and again, a small stone landed beside me. I started looking around again, and then, all of a sudden, it was just raining down small stones all around me. By small, I mean really small, like pebbles almost. The hair on my neck stood up, and I got a terrible, I am in danger kind of feeling. I immediately started heading down off the mountain while loads of little rocks were falling all around me. I kept thinking I saw shadows or something moving quickly between the trees, but never actually saw whatever it was. I have to add that I was on my very own private property, and no one was around for miles and miles. It's a very secluded area, and none of the rocks actually hit me. This is my first time posting, and I've never told anyone about this experience before. I was stationed in Panama in the early 90s. We were a supply unit, so when we went out to the field, we would recon for built-up areas that we could use. There are quite a few abandoned buildings in the jungle near the canal. I assume they were used during the actual building of the canal, and then simply abandoned as construction moved on or was completed. Usually, setting up in an abandoned building was a mixed blessing because bats and other animals liked the buildings too. But usually, near buildings, you also found concrete foundations that must have been used for tenting or even parking, which we could use in the same way. One particular time, we drove out to a location that the map indicated had several buildings. It's always a bit weird to be driving through the jungle and then suddenly come upon a group of buildings sitting in the middle of nowhere, but driving into this particular clearing seemed stranger than usual, although I can't really say why. As our convoy stopped, there were 12 of us in five HMMWVS. We all got out of the vehicles and walked off in different directions. The food supply sergeant and his assistant walked towards a promising concrete slab. The fuel sergeant walked towards a group of slabs away from the food. The company supply sergeant went off toward a small building that seemed to have a partially collapsed roof, and the platoon sergeant and I walked towards the main building. 
It was three stories tall and seemed to be some sort of office building. If it was not infested with bats or other critters, it would make a great housing area for our troops and work area for the company. I was talking things over with my platoon sergeant as we approached the main door. As I walked into the building, I felt a shiver run down my back. The next thing that struck me was how cold it was in the building. This was an abandoned building in the middle of a jungle. It should have been sweltering in there. Just as I noticed the cold, I also noticed that my platoon sergeant had not followed me in. He was standing outside the entrance, giving me a weird look. I used the fact that he was still outside to walk out quickly. What's up, Sergeant W? I asked as I stepped out. You didn't hear it? He asked. Hear what? What did you hear? Seriously, sir, you didn't hear it. I didn't hear anything. He didn't hear that voice. What voice? What did you hear? As you were about to walk in, someone inside said, Don't come in in French. You really didn't hear it. I didn't. It was clear and loud. What's inside? It's cold, I said. We then turned and began walking back to our HMMWV. The weird thing was, as we walked back to our vehicle, the other groups were also walking back to theirs. We all got back in and drove off to the next potential site without saying anything. We never spoke about it, and now I wish we had. Did they all hear the same voice the platoon sergeant heard? Did they hear or see something else? So I'm stationed in Okinawa and live in the dorms of Kadena Air Force Base. I just moved in so I had boxes everywhere. I leaned the box of the 55 and TV I just bought against the closet because I had nowhere else to put it. In the middle of the night, I woke up to it falling down and my closet being wide open. I immediately called one of my friends and slept in her room until I got issued a new room. I warned the next person who lived there. He said the same closet door opened from time to time, so he locked it with a master lock. When my ex was in the Navy station down south in California, I used to sneak into his room and spend a night or two. One night I woke up to the water running full blast from the bathtub. This happened again the next night. When I mentioned this to the ex, he was able to confirm that there were unexplained stuff happening in the other barracks too. After we finally moved into one of the family housing unit, I swear the experiences got worse. I was up late one night looking over some old paperwork. I finally decided to go to bed when I kept feeling like something was watching me. I crawled onto the mattress and stopped. Sitting up next to me was a dark, blacker than night shadow figure just facing me. I have never been so scared in my life and I think that was what drove me to irrationally conclude that the shadow figure was just my shadow. I turned with relief and fell asleep. It wasn't until I really thought about it that I realized shadows cannot reflect in the middle of empty space with no wall behind it. I have a, a hobby of skimming Craigslist while drunk. Most of the time I'll stick to discussion posts for my area Sometimes I'll check out gigs or for sale. But my favorite category was lost and found. You can learn a lot about your neighbors based on the things they lose and how hard they try to get things back. I've seen weird posts before lost refrigerator crystal skull, once even a missing prosthetic leg, but missing twin was a horse of a whole different flavor. And it was so casual. There was already a hangover headed my way so I figured another beer or two wouldn't add much to the damage. At that point, I was already roaring drunk, teetering right on the edge of a blackout, but not quite there yet. After another beer, I made a mistake that ended up costing me a lot. I replied to the Craigslist ad. Hi. I think I might be your missing twin. How are things? I'm not sure why I sent that. I remember being bored, fuzzy, and curious. I also remember being so close to closing my laptop and calling it a night. Then the owner of the Craigslist ad replied almost immediately. I missed you. Oh, we got a live one, I slurred, opening another beer. That was the drink that sent me over the hammered but aware cliff plummeting down into Wasted Valley. 
I woke up the next morning with a headache like somebody opened a strip mine behind my eyeballs. There were 26 unread emails in my inbox. I took a leak, then returned to my living room still in my underwear and plopped down on the couch with my computer. Heavy curtains kept out painful sunshine. The only light came from the blue glow of my laptop screen. It wasn't even bright enough to reveal the bottles and clothes and Chinese takeout boxes scattered around my apartment. I opened the first email. Twin, where did you go? My heart crawled up to my throat. The Craigslist weirdo had my email. Did I give him my email address the night before? Sometimes I got a little too trusting when I blacked out. Damn. 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 I opened another email, then another. All were from the Craigslist poster, and all were some variation of asking me where I went. For some reason, I felt compelled to open all of them. The last message was a single word. Meet? I closed the laptop and rubbed my temple. My hangover was shifting into a higher gear. Shit. So a rando on Craigslist had my email. Not the end of the world though. My full name was part of the email address. Shit. It was a common name. And I lived in a big city. I should be safe. That's what I kept telling myself all day as I lay curled on the couch, TV droning unwatched behind me. I ordered tacos from DoorDash. I slept. When I checked my computer again, there were another eight messages. I decided to retire the email address and close the account. I figured the Craiglister was just an oddball. Harmless. It was back to the usual routine after that. My hangover was barely a greasy echo by the time I went to work the following day. Riding on the subway that morning, a strange sensation, little hairs prickling on the back of my neck. Someone was watching me. I scanned the crowded subway car, but didn't notice anything out of the ordinary. The sensation of being watched stuck with me until I reached my stop. Then, in a blink, it was gone. Yet the memory lingered with me all through the morning as I sat in my cubicle. I was distracted, unable to work, staring at a blank spreadsheet for an hour. Somehow, I made it to lunch. I bolted from the office like a raccoon from a burning dumpster. The moment I left the building, I felt the sensation again. My watcher. I hurried through the city, dodging people on the sidewalk. When there was a gap in the press, I turned to see if I was being followed. A man was standing in the middle of the road blocking traffic. He was too far away to see clearly, though there was something familiar about him. Cars were honking, but he stood scarecrow still. Then he waved. No matter how many turns I took or intersections I sprinted through, the feeling clung to me. Eventually, I ducked into a grimy pub, nearly slipping on a puddle of unidentified liquid at the door. It was dark in the room. I slid into a corner booth, keeping my eye on the entrance. My hands were shaking. For the first time in my life, I felt hunted. After a few minutes of watching the door without anyone coming in, I let out a breath and slouched into the booth. Maybe I'd lost my watcher. The relief lasted about 20 seconds. That's when I noticed the man leaning against the bar. He was staring at me, smiling. I didn't recognize him at all, and he had a face I'd remember. Watery eyes, a broken nose badly set, and teeth like little gravestone. I realized why he seemed familiar. The stranger was dressed exactly like me. Exactly. Same tan chinos, same blue button-down shirt. Same haircut. It was like looking at my reflection in a funhouse mirror. When the man saw I was aware, he picked up two beers from the bar, walked over, and sat down opposite me in the booth. Finally found you, he said, voice higher than I expected. Do I know you? I was weighing my options, wondering if I should bolt to the door. Such a joker, the stranger said, letting out a little chuckle. You've been a bad twin. I missed you. I leaned back. Dude, I have no idea who you are. The stranger looked down at the table. I know this is unusual. I apologize. I, my brother, he passed away a few years back. It really left a hole. You know how they say twins have an extra bond, that they can sense each other. With him gone, that feeling I had my whole life just faded out. Imagine looking up at the sky every night and all of a sudden there are no more stars and never will be again. I don't know what to say. This isn't your problem. I'm sure I'm freaking you out. 
You see, I post those ads as a coping mechanism. Sometimes, people play along, and for a moment, it's like he's back. That's all I thought this was, but I can see I've upset you. I apologize. The stranger blinked his wet blue eyes and nodded to himself. I was at a bit of a loss. I think maybe, this is a misunderstanding, I offered. I shouldn't have replied to your ad. I came on strong. How about one beer, we part ways, and I won't bother you again. Some part of my brain, an old part that developed long ago when we still had to watch the tall grass for hungry eyes, it was warning me to leave. But I was so relieved to find out that my watcher was a sad man, not some monster. What was the harm in one drink? I woke up with my cheek pressed against cold concrete. This was the grandmother of all hangovers. I wanted to touch my head to check for a buried axe, but my hands were stuck, tied behind my back. I was laying on the floor in the dark. We don't really look much alike, a voice whispered from somewhere nearby. I was awfully depressed to see that. Not twins at all. Not yet. What the shit, I mumbled, face a little numb. There was the pop of a light bulb. In the yellow-orange glow, I saw I was in an empty storage unit, the type you'd rent to fill with boxes of junk and old furniture. There were mattresses duct-taped to the walls. The stranger from the bar was standing over me. Light caught on the edge of the straight razor he was unfolding. We were still dressed the same. He leaned down. If I can't look like you, little twin, maybe we can change things. Rearrange. Trim. I remember screaming for a long time. The mattresses. They must have been good soundproofing. No one came looking no matter how loud I shrieked. The pain was everywhere. It started at my face, but it lit up every nerve, a scalding electric feeling that left me shaking. I've never tasted so much blood. My last memory inside the storage unit was the stranger sitting down at my feet. He was crying. Not good enough, he said. Not even close. Another blackout washed over me, and I prayed I wouldn't wake up. That it would be over. This time when I opened my eyes, I saw a white light. Then a shadow leaned down. I would have screamed if my mouth wasn't full of something soft and dry. Still with us? A voice asked. I mumbled. Don't try talking, the voice continued. Your mouth, your tongue, uh, there's some damage. But you're safe now. You're in the hospital. I reached for my face. Cotton bandages covered everything from my neck to my scalp. They were wet, my fingers sticking briefly before I pulled them away. I'm still not sure why the stranger stopped cutting me. Maybe he wasn't seeing whatever he hoped to find. So he dumped me outside in her and disappeared. The doctors tell me I have options. Reconstructive surgery is always evolving, they say, always improving. With time and luck, I might be able to get about 75% back to normal, maybe even 80%. I still don't look when they change the bandages. Eventually, I'll have to. For the time being, I like to distract myself. They lent me a laptop and I've been trying to write, keeping a journal. I'm not sure why I checked Craigslist this morning, but I felt drawn to it. The post was only a few hours old. The location had shifted from downtown to the north side of the city, but the wording was horribly familiar. Missing twin. Have you seen him? Cash reward. Do not contact me with unsolicited services or offers. Sometime after getting my job at Walmart in 2008, I was looking for ways to make some extra money. So I started to list some things on Craigslist to sell. I listed my first generation iPhone for sale and received quite a bit of calls about it. One girl offered me a little more than I asked for if I would meet with her that day to sell it to her. Being that I was looking to make extra money, I agreed. We spoke on the phone and then agreed on a time and place to meet. Fast forward a few hours later, at about 7 p.m. still daylight, I went to the place she told me she wanted to meet at and no one was in the parking lot. We agreed to meet at a public place with lots of people, and I honestly had no idea about the area where I was. I started to feel a little off about this transaction, and it was a few cities over from where I lived. Initially I refused, but I just kept thinking that I could really use the extra money at that point. 
I stupidly let her choose a place because talking to her, I got the vibe that she was a good person. I used that term as loosely as it could be, so I trusted her judgment, believing that another woman could not do anything to me stupid thinking. She calls me after I had waited for her for about 25 minutes and tells me that her car broke down a few blocks away, but she was still completely interested in buying my iPhone. I asked her the directions and drove to meet her. By the time I made it to where she told me she was, it had gotten dark. Naturally, I felt weird about meeting her, but again, I was desperate for extra cash at this point. I sat there in my car with the windows rolled up, looking for a broken down car, and there was none in sight. I got scared and said, F it, I'm leaving, and up walks this tall skinny tan girl and a short and stocky girl. Hey, are you Hannah? I said. Yes, hey, bye-bye, she says. Yes, this is my friend Margot. can I see the phone? Me, sure. I take the phone and show it to her, and tell her that it works great, and that I'm only selling it because of an emergency. All of the sudden, someone hits me in face. I was disoriented for a moment and confused to what happened. Then I see Bibai and Margot running away with my phone. I was pissed. To the highest level of pistivity, but not because they stole the phone, because she hit me. To give you a background about me, I am a former kickboxer, and I'm a pretty thick girl, but I take no shit, especially if you hit me. So I ran after those bitches and ending up catching the thicker girl Margot. I grabbed her by her hair and rammed her head into my knee and proceeded to beat the F out of her. Bibai comes back as I am on top of Margot, trying to pull me off, but being that I was kickboxing heavily at this time, I was able to keep Margot beneath me by kicking her under her arms and ribs with my knees to keep her down. Bibai screams, get up you bitch, and starts to wail on me with the most weakest punches ever. Blood is literally everywhere. Margot's face was nearly recognizable when I was done with her. She had already dropped my phone, but I was highly pissed because she hit me. I get up off of her, and they start to run off, basically with their tails in their ass. I got my phone back, along with a headache from the punch. I called the police to report what happened and found that it was actually a rock she hit me with. A 10LB rock to be exact. I went to the emergency room to treat my wound, but nothing has become of it to this day. After that, I ended up getting robbed at gunpoint for my iPhone on Craigslist. You would think after the first incident I would be done with Craigslist, but what can I say? I just hoped it wouldn't be as bad as the first. Obviously, I was wrong. Tried to sell a vehicle on Craigslist. An older vehicle, but in great shape, no problems. Also, I grew up with a mechanic for a father, so it got old real quick anytime some shithead old guy showed up and started pointing at things and telling me they were a problem, dismissing me as an emptied-headed kid. Basically a stream of Russian and Indian dudes acting like they knew what the F they were talking about and trying to rip me off. I put every one of them in their place and told a few of them to F off and ended the meeting there. I never really sold something prior to this and wasn't prepared for the rage that comes from someone lying to your face and trying to rip you off and knowing with 100% confidence they're wrong. Oh boy. One test drive around the block though got uncomfortable and the guy wanted to keep driving for a long time. Had to threaten him to get him out of the driver's seat. Every test drive after that I had my pistol on me, and I sat in the back seat so they and their friends were in my view. Oh yeah, everyone came with friends, usually three or more, making it more uncomfortable. When I finally sold that damn thing to a nice couple expecting their first baby, I was so happy. Wasn't even my vehicle, it was a family member moving out of town, and they couldn't afford to tow it long distance, and they were going to sell it for $500. I got them three grand, so I gave them wanting 500 and kept wanting 500 Such a headache. But I did buy a great Trek bike afterwards, though so it worked out well. Many years ago, a friend of mine who was giving me a lift from a meeting asked, if we could make a detour one town over to check out some puppies. He had been dealing off and on with a breeder, and the breeder had called and said the puppies were ready to be given to new owners. This was an ad from Craigslist. 
This was before GPS was cheap, so we had to take out an old DC map to try and find where this guy was in Manassas. It turned out that he was on a very rural piece of property down a dirt road. We ended up at a house that looked like it was about to fall apart. One of the walls was heavily leaning outwards, and there was hoarding and trash all over the place. The guy met us at a screen door that was being held on by two ropes and lifted upwards. We went down the hallway that was clogged with boxes of trash, and we came across one box with a heat lamp where there were a bunch of puppies. Now, I don't know much about Labrador Retriever pups, but these pups looked awfully young and lethargic. They looked like the type of dogs who had just opened their eyes. I pointed this out. There was a woman there in a house coat. He started screaming at me that I knew nothing about dogs, and she'd been raising lab pups all her life. Okay. So my friend started asking about where the mother was. We were told constantly that she was out and about. She'll be back soon. The wild thing felt wrong, especially because these people wanted to be paid cash and seemed to be nervous that my friend wanted to take the puppy to a vet to be checked out. Eventually, things got a little heated and both my friend and I decided to leave and think about it for a while. I suspected the puppies were stolen, but my friend thought that that was unlikely for whatever reason. After a day or so, my friend called me and said that he had second thoughts and decided to contact a local vet. Sure enough, the puppies were stolen. There was a breeder who was about 20 miles away who reported that all his puppies were stolen from his garage a few days earlier. My friend ended up contacting the police, giving the address, and showing them the Craigslist ad. As far as I know, the puppies were recovered and given back to the owners or mother. When I was five, I saw a boy older than me around the house. He always made me afraid, so I would run to my mother. I moved to many houses as a child, and he always followed. When he was around, dishes would fall off the table, toys would fall, and loud noises would always happen. My childhood was high stress, and he always seemed to be around during those times. As I got older, he did not, and I surpassed his age. He seemed about nine. At 13, I stopped seeing him and thought maybe he was an imaginary friend or a childlike hallucination. That was until today when I saw him, the same nine-year-old boy, walk from my bedroom to the kitchen out of my sight. I am not saying anything to my family because, honestly, it makes me feel psychotic, but not even 10 seconds later, my brother walks into my room to tell me he heard a bunch of stuff fall in our basement and someone talking. I didn't hear this. I didn't tell him about the boy because I am skeptical, and so is he. I told him I would check out the basement, and then he left for the bus stop. I am 21 and have not seen this boy since I was a child. I am looking for a mental explanation. I know it's probably nothing, but it shook me. Why do I see this boy? Also, no way in hell am I checking on that basement. I only said that to give peace of mind. Can anybody relate to this or tell me if I need a mental evaluation? Thank you for your time. So I'm currently locked in the bathroom and scared half to death. For a couple months, I've been seeing some shadow-esque movement of sorts from my peripherals, which isn't abnormal as I've seen shadow people for as long as I can remember. These however are like see-through, different than typical dark shadows. They remind me of the specks you see floating in your eye, but large if that makes sense. Barely there, but still there. I typically take the ignore route with things that scare me as to not feed fear. However, the other day when I noticed one, my dog looked at it and followed it with its head. The only place I've seen it is in the bedroom at the foot of the bed. About 45 minutes ago, I was cleaning the house, walked into the bedroom to put some stuff away. And as I walk past the bed, I get what I can only describe as an overwhelming feeling and my heart sped up a bit. And then I heard oh so quiet and near my face, be careful. What does that mean? Why would it say that? I'm on the phone with a loved one who said that maybe they've heard it a lot and are trying to send a kind message. I honestly say it constantly to my partner every day when they leave the house, so it's not a huge stretch. This entity, ghost or spirit, has done nothing of any malicious manner, 
but damn that one message really has me on edge. Any advice would be helpful as far as protection, cleansing, peace of mind. Thanks y'all. The first time I ever meditated was a few years back. To preface this, I had been a long time drug addict meth and Adderall as well as an alcoholic. I knew nothing about meditation or anything metaphysical or paranormal. This was nothing more than a last ditch, desperate attempt to feel something. After taking upwards of 200 milligrams of Adderall every single day among other things for over 7 years and watching my entire life fall apart, I decided enough was enough. I decided to lock myself in my apartment until I had kicked my habits enough to function. A couple of months in, in my absolutely trashed apartment, lying on a futon I took from the trash heap outside at the absolute end of my rope, wishing that I could just curl up and die to escape the absolute torment of withdrawal and severe depression, I decided to give meditation a try. If it hadn't worked, I had planned to give up entirely, if you know what I mean. I sat there on the floor, listening to the hum of the vent fan on the microwave, and I just focused. I focused with every ounce of my being on nothing more than myself. I focused on my breathing, heartbeat, etc. I let all of my anxiety and worries escape to the furthest reaches of the back of my mind, and I just focused. After a few minutes, each breath I took felt like it was, for lack of better phrasing, powering me up. I could feel this intense vibration coming up through my feet, through my legs, into my midsection, chest, and up into my head. Everything and I mean everything faded away, and all that was left was me, my breath, and the hum of the vent. Suddenly, it felt like a huge burst of energy shot out through the top of my head, and before I knew it, I was floating in the air above my still-sitting body. Everything went black then, and I found myself floating through nothingness for what felt like hours. It almost looked like space. Then, suddenly, this bright light overtook everything, and I was immediately aware that I was in the presence of something much larger than myself. As soon as I finally saw it, I froze and fear took over. It was enormous. By enormous, I mean it was literally the size of a mountain, floating or flying right in front of me in the black abyss. This thing was covered in wings and eyes. It never directly spoke to me, but I could hear it in my head, if that makes sense. It told me not to be afraid, and that it was only there to help me. It told me to stop worrying about the state of my life, my mistakes, my failures, everything. It told me that life is infinite, and every living thing is connected. It showed me the world through the eyes of everyone and everything at once. It told me that I wasn't me, my name, but that I was something else entirely, and have been around far longer than the life I was currently living, and would be around for even longer still. I am paraphrasing here entirely. But again, it never spoke any words. It communicated with me in thoughts, images, and experiences. Suddenly, I was back in my body, sitting on the floor of my disgusting, dirty apartment, with my arms outstretched toward the ceiling. I don't know what this thing was, but I have never had any experience that felt as real and authentic as this did, not once in my life, nothing. I know none of this makes a whole lot of sense, but what it did for me is completely remove my desire for drugs. I have been sober ever since. My depression is gone now as well. I went from an utter failure at the end of his rope to the district manager for my current company in the span of just a couple of years. I have a fiancé now, a wonderful home, tons of friends, and I'm completely healthy. I have no idea what that entity was or how it did what it did, but I figured I would share this with you all in hopes that someone might know. I've tried to get back to that place through meditation since then, many times, and it has never worked. The experience itself was incredibly intense and overwhelming, and sometimes I'm not even sure that I want it to happen again. Thanks for reading.